You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. If you're able to stand in honor of God's word, if you would do that, I would appreciate it. God would appreciate it. I think it's right to do. Aren't you glad we have the word of God? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 5, and I want to read a passage beginning in verse verse number 8. Of course, I'll come back in a minute and talk about something about the book of Hebrews, but if you're familiar with it, of course, uh, the apostle Paul writing a thesis or a apologetic, you could say, on the person work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is who he's speaking of here, beginning in verse 8. Though he were a son, the Lord Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, And hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. We'll get into it in a minute, but let me just suffice it to say, this is quite an indictment primarily of the church there in Jerusalem. Most of these Hebrew believers who he's addressing here, most of whom are there, he addresses the Hebrew nation in general, but he has in mind some things he's experienced himself by way of the church in Jerusalem. And again, I say it's an indictment. We're talking about the first church, hello? After the Lord Jesus ascended back into glory, those 120 formed that church there in Jerusalem. The church was formed in the Gospels, I understand that. It really took its place of ministry and and place of real impact uh, for the cause of Christ uh, thereafter the Lord ascended. That church, Paul's writing and said, you ought to be teachers. And I have need to teach you first principle. That's incredible, isn't it? We'll notice some things about it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, the time together Again tonight, thank you for the Lord's Day, a time when we can set it aside, as we should, as it's right, I believe, scriptural to do. We're thankful that we can. We still have the liberties that we enjoy in this country to do so, where we set the Lord's Day aside as a special time. We spend together around the Word of God, uh, certainly mindful of our place and responsibility as the Church of God. And so I thank you for each and every person that's seen the importance of it, honored the place of it by being back in God's house here tonight. And I pray for each of us that our coming would not be in vain, but rather, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds once more to receive a challenge from your word. May we apply it, certainly we always can, in a general sense or collectively, congregationally. But most importantly, Lord, may we apply it personally. What you have for us tonight, I pray you would speak to our individual hearts and do a work that you intend to do, we know, that I believe you want to do, oh God, we pray that you would do. 
Help me now as I preach. I'll thank you for this and all of you are going to, what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let me uh, <clears throat> digress for a moment uh, and say right up front, I, I hope you're not confused in the matter. The Apostle Paul is the human instrument that wrote the book of Hebrews. You say, well, yeah. Well, <clears throat> you may not be aware that there is some uh, differences of opinion. There's some doubt or question as to who the human instrument, human author. God's the author, but the human instrument that God used to, to write this book. Uh, you can be wrong if you want to be, but it's Paul. <laughs> when I was in Bible college, I had a professor that believed James wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, <clears throat> I've read different commentaries. Some think Barnabas wrote it. Uh, difference of opinion <laughs> as to who God used to write it. But again, for the record, and we're all on the same page, say amen, Paul wrote it. I said Paul wrote it. Amen. And I believe there are several reasons, scriptural reasons, that we can make the case that the Apostle Paul was the human instrument. Now you say, well, it ain't no big deal, really. No, in the larger scope of things, it's still the Word of God. It doesn't matter who God used. Come on. It's God's Word, right? But I think you can better appreciate or understand the letter itself when you understand the person that God used to write it. And I think, again, there's some scriptural or evidential reasons for which we can believe that without any doubt. One, uh, and I'm going to come back to that, the Apostle Paul had a reason for which to write to the Hebrews. He loved them. <laughs> he loved them. Uh, you remember him saying, I would wish myself accursed that my people Israel might be saved. I can't even begin. That, that's like a different world universe almost to me. I can't even begin to understand. I'm not trading my place in heaven for anybody. But that kind of love, Paul said that I may know him. I believe he came to know him. Because the Lord Jesus, come on, he gave himself, himself for us. He literally went to hell for us. Yeah, he did. Paul had the same kind of love. I, I would go to hell if my people Israel might be saved. Whoa, baby. <laughs> Beyond me. But I say... <clears throat> He loved his own people. I've said it a thousand times. If the Apostle Paul, when Jesus called him and he got saved there on the road to Damascus, first thing he said, which is what a new convert ought to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And God made it plain to him what he would have him to do. He's going to make him a missionary to the Gentile people. And all the Gentile people said, amen. Thank God for the Apostle Paul. Come on. What we know as Western civilization is a tribute to the man Paul who took the gospel and went west. Okay. And here was his statement, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Thank God he wasn't. <laughs> Thank God he wasn't. Okay, Because his heart, his passion, his, his natural affection would be, oh man, I've had my eyes open as, I mean, it's like the light of day coming into his life spiritually. And he thought, I'm just, I was just like, my whole nation of people are. They're blinded. They're steeped in their tradition and blinded by it. Oh, now I can share with them the truth. 
That wasn't what God wanted him to do. And so he wasn't disobedient. Amen. He took the gospel to the Gentiles. <laughs> I don't know. My mom got into uh, genealogy when I was a kid. It was back before. Some of you young, young people can't imagine this. It was back before the internet. <laughs> back before a lot of resources we have today. But she got into it. My, my cousin who was like an aunt to me. She got her into it. And my dad was an outdoorsman. We went camping all the time. And when we'd go camping on vacation or whatever, my brother and my dad and I'd go fishing. Mom would go into town. She'd go to the library and she'd <laughs> go digging, you know, to try to find the Lydics. And she, she got us back to Pennsylvania, but she couldn't get us across the pond and she got so frustrated with that. Anyway, all that to say, <clears throat> I kind of began to have an interest in it. I began to read some things she found and all. But but have you ever contemplated the spiritual genealogy that you might have? How the gospel came to you? My name Leidig is an Americanized name, German ancestry, Leidig, L-E-I-D-I-G. My mom found the family, what do you call it, shield or whatever it is, all the things of the Leidigs in Germany couldn't get us back over there in the line that she was trying to find, but Germans. I know about Martin Luther. I know steeped in Catholicism and all, and then Lutheranism. I have a man in my church who's into genealogy, and he said, sometimes, preacher, instead of trying to get your family across the pond, it's best to start across the pond and get you over here. So he did some work, and he thinks he found our family over there. And he showed me there's a bunch of Lutheran preachers in my line. <laughs> well, I say all that to say this. I wonder, though, if you're a Gentile, every one of us, though our family tree spiritually would be pretty broad and wide, all the different branches that would go out, but I'm of the opinion it would all come back to a man called the Apostle Paul. Because he took the gospel to, to the Gentile, but he went west. And uh, so I, one day when we get to heaven, it's going to be interesting to find all the lineage, you know, and those that got saved. And Come on, we're debtors. We're debtors. The gospel came to us. Aren't you, aren't you thrilled, eternally thankful that it came to us? Okay, so <clears throat> again... But Paul, his natural affection, again, would be for his own people, Israel. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. Because <clears throat> their condition, I think, is another reason that he writes this, this letter. Okay. Other evidences that Paul's the, <clears throat> the human instrument, terminology, subject, and style in writing. The word mediator is only found twice in the word of God. It's found in chapter 8, verse 6 of Hebrews, and it's found in Galatians chapter 3. Only a term used by the Apostle Paul. God of peace is another phraseology. It's found in Romans 15 and 1 Thessalonians 5, and then here in Romans chapter 13, verse 20. There's another word that's certainly identified with the Apostle Paul, the word grace. You think that might be found a few times? Oh, especially as you understand who he's writing to here and the reason for which he's writing. And grace is used again and again. In fact, 
Just go back to the end of the letter, back to chapter 13. Hold your place there in chapter 5. But in chapter 13, <clears throat> verse number 9, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And of course he's making a case about works and law-keeping versus simple truth by way of grace and God's grace. Okay. So again, grace, if, if you look at the end of chapter 13, not amazing that, it, that he ends with this, grace be with you all, amen. Uh, he's the apostle of grace, and so you'll find the word grace used again and again, and again often <clears throat> in conflict, so to speak, with law or law keeping. Okay. His benediction, interesting there in verse 23 of chapter 13, know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Paul was in prison in Rome. This is uh, one of the last letters he writes. It's dated, they believe, somewhere around 64, 65 A.D. He died in 66, 67. This morning we were talking about Philemon and Colossians. Those two were letters that he wrote from Rome. Some of the last dis dispatches, of course, 2 Timothy, the very last dispatch we have from the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> he was incarcerated or imprisoned, but he was at liberty to write. <laughs> Somebody say amen. And man, he did a lot of writing while he was imprisoned there in Rome, uh, of which we thank God we have the record. Of course, not just Paul's word, God's very word. Okay. He makes this statement in chapter 10, verse 38 of Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Galatians 3, 11, he uses that same phraseology. Come on, this is... Get your theology right. This is the Apostle Paul, God using here to write this letter to the Hebrew believers. <clears throat> the condition, time, and place of the writer. He makes mention in chapter 13 again. Look at verse number 19. He says, But I beseech you the rather to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. He's looking forward. <laughs> Paul's the eternal optimist. He's going to be released. He'll be justified before Caesar and he'll be released and he'll be able to visit back there in Jerusalem and other places, of course, he writes to and people he writes to at this time. And he makes mention again in verse 24, salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> a common trait of the Apostle Paul is he would close his letter. He would speak of people that were either there or people he was writing to. Paul was a people person. Amen. He loved people because the Lord Jesus loves people and Paul loved people and so he spoke of that. Again, he makes mention of Timothy. Timothy, of course, the one who was a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. Duh. Come on. This is Paul. Absolutely. Positively. And then I, I put in the as I mentioned a little bit before, uh, Paul's passion for his own people. Um, I was studying through the book of Acts a few years ago, and I kind of had my eyes open to something that I'd never really realized before. A couple of things, frankly. Those Jews, I'm talking about Peter, James, and John, and uh, James, the half-brother of the Lord, uh, 
when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, here's how they perceived that. Go into all the world and reach all the Jews all over the world. They were scattered then just as they're scattered now. And they were to reach all the Jews. They did not get a handle on this. We're talking about after the Lord ascended back into glory, they still did not have a grip on the vision of the Great Commission. They thought it was to reach the Jews. They thought the Jews were the ones that were to be saved. Us dogs, come on, us dogs. It wasn't for us. It wasn't until you get to chapter 10 of Acts that Peter had that pretty, what you'd call, great illustration that God did with him, brought down this sheet full of catfish and shrimp and all kinds of good stuff. Eat, Peter. Not so, Lord. And he had this illustration made to him. And, of course, Cornelius is on his way to Peter's house. And Peter had his eyes open, did he not? You read there in chapter 15 of Acts, when Paul comes back from his first missionary journey, and there's some bit of consternation there in the church in Jerusalem. Do we want to be identified with this guy Paul? Because he's taken the gospel to Gentiles and he brought back Timothy as an example and Titus and some others. And, and they had quite a hubbub <laughs> there in chapter, chapter 15. And uh, Peter finally stands up and makes the case. And, of course, then James, who's the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, is what you'd call the lead pastor there in Jerusalem. And he says, okay, we believe the gospel is to go to the Gentiles, but, but Paul, you need to tell them this. There's a few things we want them to know that they shouldn't do and they shouldn't be identified with. And so they came to some agreement. But you ought to pick up on the fact there's some problems going on even back by chapter 15 and a little before that in Acts, there's some problems going on in Jerusalem. I'm talking about the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. You get to chapters 21 and 22, the apostle Paul has had his three missionary journeys and he's, (laughs) because he's always had a passion for his people, I believe he would constantly be asking the Lord, uh, some, you know, after maybe his first journey, now can I go to Jerusalem? No, Paul, I got another task for you here. He got back from his second missionary journey. Lord, I I really would like to go to Jerusalem. My people need to hear that gospel. I think I could have some real persuasion and influence there because of my own testimony. And boy, did he have a powerful one or what? (laughs) God said, no, Paul. And so then after he's on his third missionary journey, he, he kept after the Lord and I believe God, there's a difference between perfect will and permissive will. Be careful you don't spill over into permissive will. That's not a good place, really. Paul's a great man, godly man. I mean, like I said, I can't even begin to identify with his heart and mindset. But he's a man. And he had some weaknesses and faults and... Sin, you could say, yeah, in his life. He wasn't immune to it. None of us are. And so God finally said, okay, Paul, but I tell you what, it's not going to be like you think. (laughs) In fact, you know, he gave testimony. If you read there through chapter 18, 19, 20, leading into all that, everywhere he goes, he's he's pressing to get back uh, for the time of that 
holiday back in Jerusalem when he'd be all those Jews there. And man, he sees it as a great opportunity to preach. And, and he gives his own testimony of the fact that the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit has witnessed to him time and again not to go back there. It's not going to be good. <laughs> it's not going to be bonds. You know, he gives testimony. Bonds and affliction await me there. But none of these things move me. <laughs> Why? Because he's got such a passion for his own people. Come on. You got a lost loved one? You can kind of identify with that. And so he presses on. And he gets back to Jerusalem. What is it? Chapter 21. And James meets him there. James, we're talking about the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. We're talking about the chief pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And he says, Paul, you're not, uh, <laughs> you're not well received around here. Here's what you need to do, Paul. You need to take a Nazarite vow. You need to shave your head. You need to show to these Jews that you're okay with what they are and how they are. Excuse me? <laughs> I said, excuse me? Paul, who went to bat for us Gentiles? Come on. He says, okay. Paul, <laughs> Paul, wake up. You're getting duped here. And of course, he goes through it all and he, <clears throat> he comes there to the temple. Remember the story? You get in chapter 22. Man, there's a stir. There's a crowd. We're talking about, I would assume, members of the church there in Jerusalem. We're talking about at least those who give lip service to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and they believe in him. They're ready to kill him. <laughs> Hello? They're ready to kill him. And there's such a stir that the Roman centurion who's got him in charge of the temple grounds there comes and takes Paul, drags him. I mean, they're tearing him asunder. He drags him for his own protection aside. And here's the question. It's a great read. It's a great read. I, I preached a message on it one time. Centurion said, who art thou? <laughs> and it was like... <clears throat> My wife's favorite cartoon movie is Despicable Me, <laughs> if you're familiar with it. Drew, is that, that his name, Drew? He has this deal where when he thinks of something, it's bing, light bulb. <laughs> you know, it's like the light comes on. Light, so, so Drew will say, light bulb. <laughs> I'm thinking the Apostle Paul when that centurion said, who art thou? <laughs> light bulb yeah who am I and what am I doing here you know well anyway it had got to the point where ultimately you know the story he's drugged before the uh, Roman government of course Agrippa and all of them they make you know he makes his appeal to Caesar to save his own life so we find him here three, four years later in Rome, a prisoner, awaiting his hearing before Caesar. Now, I'm not going to prognosticate much, 
But I wonder what Paul's ministry, how much farther it might have gone. Now, we thank God for every bit that we have of the Apostle Paul. But I wonder if he'd have listened to the Holy Spirit and God himself, Paul, you don't want to go back there. I wonder how much longer we might have had of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> That's all speculation. You don't know because it didn't happen. Okay. <clears throat> but here's my point I go back to. Uh, don't, don't slide into permissive will. You can still be used by God. There's still some great things to be experienced, which Paul did. <clears throat> but it's not perfect will. That's where you want to be. All the people said, that's where you want to be. Okay, perfect will. Now, I say all that again to come back to <clears throat> Paul's passion. Are you getting it? And he's thinking what he experienced there in Jerusalem now, he's saying, my soul. And we're talking about now it's been, been revealed to him. He tells Timothy later on, the day of my departure is at hand. He knows he doesn't have much time. He didn't have an opportunity like he wanted to have to preach to those Hebrews there in Jerusalem. In fact, if you go back there to chapter 22 in Acts, finally he gets the centurion and he says, he lifts his hand and the crowd's just screaming. I mean, his pandemonium's broken out. It's like a riot. They're wanting to kill him. <clears throat> but Paul asks the centurion, give me just a moment. And he raises his hand and he gets, the, <laughs> he gets to quiet the crowd. He said, <clears throat> let me just say a few words. And so he starts on his own personal testimony which was most of the preaching he did that we have record of. He's preaching his own testimony. But he gets to the point of that, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. And he makes the statement where the Lord Jesus told him, I want you to go to the Gentiles. Boom, <laughs> man, it explodes again. That's, what, that's it. That's what, we, that's what we're against. This guy's a pervert. He's a, he's a scriptural and doctrinal pervert. We're, I mean, they start screaming all kinds of stuff against him. And so the centurion takes him away. All that, again, Paul's experience in Jerusalem wasn't at all what he wanted to experience. But he still has a passion for his people. So I believe God gave him this last opportunity when the Holy Spirit then inspired him to write this letter to the Jews. Primarily, again, those believing Jews, supposedly, I'm not sure as those that <laughs> said they were believers were true believers, but the church there in Jerusalem. Now again, the church in Jerusalem has become eaten up with the Judaizers. Paul wrote a whole book about that issue to the churches of Galatia. You remember? Are you familiar with the book of Galatians? They're eaten up by these Judaizers who come in and persuaded them against or away from grace salvation and salvation by grace through faith alone. You got to add this stuff. You got to keep the law. You got to be circumcised, all this stuff. And so now, I mean, these people are coming out of Jerusalem. They're coming out of Judah. And I'm telling you, the church in Jerusalem, it's interesting. By the time you get to chapter 15, when they had that great conclave there, from there on, you don't hear much at all about the church in Jerusalem other than when Paul finally gets back there and it ain't good. Are you kidding me? The church in Jerusalem? Read it for yourself. Be fully persuaded yourself by your study of the scriptures. 
They're eaten up by false doctrine. The church in Jerusalem. Mercy. If it can happen to them, we better sober up. We better get on guard. Aren't you glad for Eastside Baptist Church? Don't take it for granted. As thrilled as you are for it, Satan hates it. He'd love to corrupt it, to destroy it. And come on, we, we independent Baptists, uh, sometimes, somehow we kind of got smug, thought it doesn't, can't come around to us. <laughs> oh, yeah. What goes around comes around. Yeah. And it's a threat to us, too. God forbid that someday something would be said like this of Eastside Baptist Church. When you ought to be teachers of others, you've been, you've been at church for 50, 60, 70 years by this time. When you ought to be a teacher of others, I've got to teach you the, what? These basic principles of the gospel. The introduction here is getting long. <laughs> I haven't got to the message yet. <laughs> but here's the last reason I believe the Apostle Paul is the human instrument that God used. I think this is one of the most convincing statements. It's made by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says this, and he's writing, you know, the Apostle Peter is an apostle to the Jews. He's writing to his Jewish believers primarily but also some Gentiles but he says an account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you as also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood <laughs> which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Boy, Peter nailed it. Okay. And he spoke again to the fact <clears throat> that those Hebrew believers, <laughs> that Paul wrote to them about some of these things, hard to be understood. I think sometimes hard to be understood because they didn't want to understand it. They didn't want to receive it. Just like they didn't want to receive Paul when he went back to Jerusalem. <clears throat> but I come back to so I can get to the message. <laughs> I come back to chapter 5, verse number 12. And this is what I believe is the primary reason for which the Apostle Paul wrote to that church, those Hebrews back there in Judah or Judea. Verse 12, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. <clears throat> first principles. <clears throat> Paul makes mention that they have basically turned away from, they've left first principles, elementary stuff. Webster's 1828 defines a principle as this. In a general sense, it is the cause, source, or origin of anything. It is that from which a thing proceeds. It is 
the ground or foundation of a matter or action. It is that which supports an assertion, an action or series of actions (laughs) or of reasoning. It is a general truth or law comprehending many subordinate truths as the principles of morality, of law, or of government. First principles, you getting it? We're talking about elementary stuff. We're talking about fundamentals. Fundamentals. I'm a fundamentalist. I believe this is a fundamental Baptist church. We emphasize, amen, we give much attention to the fundamentals. (laughs) I... uh, I played basketball. I was raised in Kansas. You're raised in Kansas. You're born with a basketball in your hand. <laughs> and played basketball 24-7, dawn to dusk. You know, my, our driveway at my home was the neighborhood basketball court. I mean, the goal was on the house of our garage, and our garage was attached. And boom, you'd hear that, boom, you'd hear that thing all the time, you know, going. Uh, I heard... Uh, Barack Hussein Obama made this statement when he was running for president the first time, which alarmed me. I didn't know him real well. But he made this statement, got my attention. We intend to fundamentally change the United States of America. How do you remember that statement? Well, when I heard that, I said, hey, I'm a fundamentalist. (laughs) I know the importance of fundamentals. I don't want to see America changed fundamentally. I said in basketball, I was in basketball. Fundamentals of basketball would be like dribbling, passing, and shooting. (laughs) You change the fundamentals of basketball, you know what you've done? You've changed the sport of basketball. I know of like education, there used to be what's called the three R's. How many of you remember that? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. I didn't know had much about spelling, but that was the three R's, okay? <laughs> Those are the elementary. In fact, that's what education is supposed to emphasize. If you don't get that down, come on, nothing else really matters. You've got to have the fundamentals first. Aerodynamics. <clears throat> had the privilege here a few months ago to be out on the uh, outer banks of North Carolina out there where the Wright brothers got their first flight. And they came to understand some fundamentals of aerodynamics, such things as speed and lift. (laughs) And come on, if you don't understand those, you won't fly. No one did until they understood it. Those are fundamentals. Freedom, go back to our country. There's some fundamental truths and bases, if you will, of independence and such were mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that, here's one, all men are created equal. Number two, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Come on, that's a fundamental of our freedom. And those rights, he said, that among these, here they are, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're talking about fundamentals in the United States of America that Mr. Obama and his band of thieves <laughs> want to change us from. Yeah. Well, we know how important that is to us as a nation, as a people. Well, how about the fundamentals of the faith? How important are those? Well, you could say in the eternal perspective, they're much more important. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're eternally important. So the first principles, as he uses this terminology here in in verse number 12 again, uh, I have to teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Well, what are the first principles? Well, go back to chapter 1, because he really... really Hits the ground running, you could say. One of the arguments that Paul was not the author, human instrument, of the book of Hebrews is because almost every time when he writes a letter, an epistle, he starts by identifying himself and then those to whom he's writing to greet so-and-so that are there. He doesn't do that here. Well, it couldn't have been the apostle Paul then. Oh, yeah, it could have been. Not only could have been, it was. <laughs> I think, first of all, he's thinking if I identify myself right up front, they won't even read the rest of the letter. <laughs> he's talking about his experience there already. Okay? So he makes no mention of himself, and he cuts to the chase. <laughs> he gets to the point right up front here. Come on. God. It's really about God. This is God's word. Come on. God's the one that makes the choices here. God's the one that directs everything we do. It's up to God. We ought to be, ought to be more important about it. It doesn't matter if Paul's the human author. It doesn't matter what Paul says. Come on, really? But it does matter what God says. And so we're talking about a fundamental principle here. It starts with God. Yeah, it starts with God. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners. Okay. Well, I'm right up front, God, he is. He doesn't start by trying to prove who he is or give some dissertation on the deity. No, he just says the statement, God, God is. Yeah, and God himself. The unquestioned truth is there is a God, and it's only one God. Our Mormon friends are all confused. They think they can become a God. How perverted is that? (laughs) Beside me, there's none else. Come on, God said. He made it very plain. He is God. There's none other. And he's triune. Look at this. In diverse manners spake he in time past. We're we're talking about the New Testament here. This is before really we had so much of the New Testament. By the time you get to Hebrews, there were some some gospels. There, of course, were some earlier letters from the Apostle Paul that some believed were again canonized or recognized as God's word. But as for the most part, we're talking about the Old Testament was the standard for God's word. Well, he says in diverse manners. He's talking about the the Trinity. Come on. The evidence was already demonstrated time and again in the Old Testament that there's a triune God. Let us make man in our image. So you have God the Father, you have the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, time and again through the Old Testament, Spirit would come upon men. We have testimony to the, that person of the Godhead. And then we have, he even makes mention here, as we already read, about Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a, was a Christophany. It was an evidence of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. When Joshua, he's getting ready to go against the battle of Jericho. And there's this soldier standing there. Are you for us or are you against us? (laughs) Well, it comes to Joshua, the dawning that who it was. It was a Christophany. It's God in his own person. And man, what happened to Joshua? He fell on his face. You better believe it. I mean, there's time and again throughout the Old Testament we have evidence 
of who God is in the triune person of the Godhead. He speaks, look at verse number two. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Of course, you're going to hear a lot about the Lord Jesus and the high priest position that he has. And he's talking to these Jews and he's going to talk about, come on, Peter made mention of things hard to be understood. For us Gentiles, a lot of it's hard to understand because he's talking in, in terminology and in subject matter that the Jews knew about. And we don't have that knowledge. We don't have that grasp altogether. And so even for us Gentiles, some of it's very hard to understand. In the New Testament, we're told one of the hardest books, if you want to do a, a Bible study, one of the hardest books to digest altogether is the book of Hebrews. But God speaks through his word. <laughs> he spoke in the Old Testament often in an audible voice. Moses, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. I mean, we can go through different occasions in which God speaks. Literally, verbally, audibly, we come to the New Testament and he speaks as well. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Come on, God speaks. He's not silent. You can take any subject matter. Uh, come on, we talk about the word of God. This is, a, this is an encyclopedia on knowledge. <laughs> speaks to all kinds of different subject matter. It's a, you get a digestion, you get a working knowledge of this book. I'm telling you, Solomon spoke about the wisdom of God. It's imparted by the word of God. God speaks. He's the one that created all that is. Look in the last part of verse 2. It says, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. <laughs> Skip down to verse number 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. In verse number three, he says, who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. He not only spoke it into existence, he maintains it. <laughs> A week or so ago, I heard about this meteor that's heading toward the earth they said it's the size of the empire state building don't lose any sleep at night <laughs> it's going to be okay god's in control of those things why doesn't earth slam into mars or who knows what i'll tell you why because god keeps it in order you talk about the audaciousness of some of these so-called science so-called that say, if we, don't get a, if we don't get control of this climate, I'm telling you, we only have about 12 more years and we're going to destroy the earth. <laughs> you can write that down. That's my response to that. Bunch of hooey. These people are nuts. They don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> Come on, God maintains it all. It's up to him. Now, there's coming a time when there's going to be quite a display In the heavens, in the planets, in the sun and the moon and the stars, God's going to do some things, but not till we're out of here. Somebody say amen. Yeah. So don't worry about it. We'll be here 12 years from now unless the Lord comes back. <laughs> but I'm with John. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Again, we're talking about elementary. I mean, fundamental stuff here. 
He's eternal. He's unchanging. Look at verse number 11. They shall perish, the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. (laughs) And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, talking about God, and thy years fail not. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody say amen. Aren't you glad he doesn't change? The JWs and the Mormons and all these cults, they got to change their doctrine from time to time because they find out it's not so. God doesn't change. His word stands. Amen. His word's the same because he's the same. And his word is a reflection of him. The Lord Jesus called the living word. Yeah. Hello? Jerusalem? First Baptist Church of Jerusalem? You got to teach them those things? Yeah. Because they've been led astray. False doctrines creeped in. They're believing things that incredible. Unbelievable. First principles, it starts with God himself. And then it goes to man's responsibility before God. Look in chapter 2. Therefore, you think, (laughs) we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, which has been the case there in Jerusalem. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Man's responsibility for God. You know what? First and foremost, we need to hear what he says. He speaks, and we need to hear. Need to be in church. Come on, you can say amen, you're here. (laughs) You need to be here. You ought to be here. There shouldn't be a There shouldn't be a member of Eastside Baptist Church that's not here on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Oh, no, Wednesday night too, yeah. And Thursday night visitation or whenever the door squeaks. Come on, you ought to be here. It's God's business. I think we heard somebody this morning talking about this is the most important business. Well, it's not this evening, I think Brother Chad mentioned, yeah. This is important business. This is the most important business. We need to hear what he says. We need to know what he says. Hosea, the prophet, God said through him, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Come on, God's given us his word to bone up, be smart, have understanding. I like one of the passages, you young people. If you know the word of God, the psalmist said, I am wiser than all my teachers. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend you do this, but if you're in public school particularly, you're going to hear a pinhead say some knucklehead stuff that is not true. And you could raise your hand and say, sir, with all due respect, you're an idiot. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. But the fact of the matter, that's so. When they go against the truth of God's word, they're an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. Come on. That's the truth of the matter. Yeah. Because we have the knowledge, the truth of the word of God. But we need to know what he says. We need then to do what he says. Look in verse number, or chapter 3, look at verse number 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. Forty years. <clears throat> Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, 
lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He's emphasizing again that relationship of faith. Come on, when they came out of Egypt, you, you would think God's given enough of a demonstration of his power and his control. They would just say, whatever he says, we're doing it. I mean, the, the Bible talks about he brought them out with a mighty arm. You think? I mean, in a final, final great demonstration, they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They get on the other side. Here comes Pharaoh and his army. I mean, almost immediately they're saying, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> really? And then God tells Moses, <clears throat> stand you still. See the salvation of the Lord. Put your rod out over the ocean. God closed it up. Egypt's army was destroyed before their eyes and they saw their bodies and their chariots wash ashore. <clears throat> Next chapter says, and they sang the song of Moses. <laughs> you think? They're ready to sing, yeah boy. And there's a psalm that's not in the Psalms, it's there in Exodus when God brought them out. Come on. There ought to be enough evidence, I'm talking about 21st century believers, we got a whole record of it. But there ought to be enough evidence. If you've been saved very, time, very much at all, very long at all, you've got a testimony or two. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what I witnessed one time. Then why would the Lord have to say to his disciples as he did, O ye of little faith. Come on, it always boils down to that five-letter word. We have to trust him. And Paul's making the case here about salvation. Come on, it's by faith, plus or minus nothing. We're not saved by works. Come on, we can't save ourselves. We can't keep ourselves saved. It's basically we have to trust him at his word. I've had the joy of leading people to the Lord sometimes in their home. And I'll go through the scripture and I'll kind of humorously say with some truth in it. I'll say, listen, if, if I showed up here tomorrow and said, hey, I'm going to meet you tomorrow, come by and pick you up, and we're going to go to heaven. I'll pick you up and take you to heaven. <laughs> You'd say, I think, I think the preacher lost it, you know. And you would probably not say that to his face, but you'd say something like this, well, maybe some other time. Because, <laughs> you know, he's lost it. I don't know. You go to the North Star and take a hard right, how do you get there? <laughs> Somebody here want to show your ignorance of the matter and try to stand up and tell us how to get to heaven? There's no way we know how to literally, physically make our way there. But I know somebody who does. And he's promised to take me there. How so? I just have to believe him, trust him by faith. Amen. These Jews are getting... Deceived. They're now mixing law and grace. And come on, once you turn from the truth, <laughs> you're on a, a road to destruction. It only leads to more deceit. It only leads to more error. Come on. There's a narrow way. God help us to stay on the narrow way, the true way. And Paul is concerned for them and their responsibility for God. We need to do what he says. 
We need to do what he says. It goes all the way back to the garden. It really started there. When God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul, I've often liked to imagine, kind of picture in my mind certain events recorded in the Bible. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Adam, God forms him of the dust, makes him in his image. And so he looks like God. And God breathes into him the breath of life. And man instantly became a living soul. Opened his eyes. What's going on? <laughs> What's happening? Who am I? What, what in the world? <laughs> Come on. He wasn't born and grew into it. He was like 33 years old. <laughs> you know, he's a full-grown man. <laughs> well, read the account. It's interesting. The first communication that God gives him is kind of in a general sense there in chapter 1. And uh, tells him about you're to be fruitful and replenish the earth. And I mean, Eve's not even created yet. So, but he talks about you're to take control and you're to uh, subdue the earth. But then you get into chapter two, and God gets into some particulars and. He begins to give Adam some details. So I think chapter 1 is kind of a general thing. But here in detail, some more detail as to the communication between God and man. And here's how you can sum it up. Do what I say and trust me. I mean, that's basically it. He said, you got run of the place, Adam. <clears throat> Put you in the garden. You got responsibilities there. You got run of the place. I mean, have, just take it all in. It's all for you. Can you imagine what it must have been like, Eden? Ooh, baby. Oh, but there's one tree there. Don't touch it. Stay separate from it. Someone said, first communication, I mean, verbal communication between God and man was, do what I say and trust me. And it was obedience and separation. Obedience and separation. Separation didn't start in the 20th century. Hello? Separation goes all the way back to the first communication between God and man. And so you need to do what he says. Man's responsibility. We're talking about elementary stuff here. Could it be that the 21st century New Testament Christianity, we've had 2,000 years of, of a complete canon of God's word, and we know all about obedience? Come on, we know all about the favor that God would lend to those that would do what he said and trust him and how he wants to use them for their good and for his glory. Could it be we'd have 21st century Christians that need to be taught first principles? <laughs> Could it be 21st Christians are beginning to buy into false doctrine? I'll give you one. It's very current today. It's called Calvinism. It's a damnable heresy. I've always said any doctrine that takes a man's name is suspect at best. <laughs> It's called Calvinism, John Calvin. Yeah. And there's a lot of 21st century independent Baptists who bought into it. A first principle is we're saved by grace through faith, plus or minus nothing, that God wants to save anybody and everybody. We're to go into all the world, for God so loved the world. Come on, we can go on and on and on. The scripture's very plain. God loves everybody. Anybody and everybody can be saved. Everybody would be saved if God would have his will in the matter. 
And they come up with something no God picks and chooses. And <laughs> if you want to be saved and you're not picked and chosen, then you won't be saved. Doesn't matter what you think. No, free will. And there's something about God made man different than the angels. He gave us a free will. Again, elementary stuff. God himself, man's responsibility before God, and then man's relationship with God. Go back to chapter 2 here. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Man's relationship. Again, go back to the garden. Why did God make man to begin with? For fellowship, a relationship. God wants a relationship with us collectively, but most importantly, individually. He wants to be your personal Savior. He wants to be the Lord of your life. Come on. That's what he desires. That's what he wants. That's, that's elementary stuff. And our place then is one of dependence upon him. Come on, we need him. He doesn't need us. He wants us, but he doesn't need us. We need him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Come on, this is a Sunday night crowd. I don't need to get off on the elementary thing of salvation here, but if you don't get saved, here's the truth of the matter. You're on your way to hell right now. It's not like, well, one day it'll be determined. No, it's already determined. You're on the way that leads to destruction, but God doesn't want you to go that way. He is the way. He wants you to go his way. How shall you escape if you neglect it? You won't escape, friend. We're dependent upon him. And again, this thing of faith. Look in chapter 3. Pick up in verse number, verse number 15. Okay. Chapter 3 of, of Hebrews. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. He's talking about the 40 years when Israel was waiting for a whole generation to die off. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? <laughs> so we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief, faith, trusting the Lord at his word. Caleb and Joshua. Let's go. God's with us. He's already showed. Come on. We're dependent upon him and he's going to meet our need. Yeah, they're giants, but the bigger they are, the harder they fall. I'm telling you, they're not bigger than God. And no, they, we're not going. We're not going. <laughs> wouldn't believe God. Wouldn't trust God. Disobedient to God. Our relationship with him. Come on, it boils down to faith. Can you trust him? Is he worthy of our trust? Has he ever failed us? Great is thy faithfulness. Somebody ought to write a song. Amen. His faithfulness is great. Yes, it is. You can depend upon him. One of grace. It's faith, but it's also grace. Look in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse number 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession... For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto, here it is, the throne of grace. 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank God for grace. He's gracious. <laughs> Unmerited favor. He lends to, toward us. God knows us. He knows our sinfulness and our unworthiness. And he loves us still. <laughs> I thought I'd get an amen there. He loves us still. He's faithful. We're not. We ought to strive to be faithful. But come on, by our nature, we fail. But he loves us still. <laughs> Again, we heard this morning about Peter. Feed my sheep. God, Peter was, I mean, he was destroyed by his own failure. But Jesus said, come and dine. <laughs> He's going to use him. Aren't you glad God doesn't give up on us? Thank God. Again, because he loves us. It's his grace toward us. And of course, all of this established by son. I'm trying to get done here. You've got to believe that by faith. Believe that. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Talk about those principles again. Let us go on into perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. They're drawing back. They're, they've been delivered from... A salvation so-called, which was not salvation, <clears throat> of works to salvation by grace through faith. <clears throat> and as he told the Galatians who were sucked in by the same stuff, he said, who hath deceived you? <laughs> How is it that you come to believe that somehow by keeping the law you have some favor with God or some benefit Spiritually speaking, come on, it's not by works at all. <laughs> it's by faith. And it's established through his son. Look back in chapter 5, verse number 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. There it is again. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. Seeing ye are dull of hearing. <laughs> seeing ye are dull of hearing. I won't take the time. I'll just tell you. Time and again you go through the book of Hebrews. You'll read in chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. Chapter 1 verse 8. Chapter 2, 9 and 10. 2, 17, 3, 1, 3, 14, 4, 14 to 15, 5, 6, 5, 8 to 10 that we just read here. Time and again references to what we have. We have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without him we have nothing. Without him we can do nothing. Without him we are nothing. We have no hope without him. It's all established through the Lord Jesus himself. And then again, that, that point, then we're to go on unto perfection, which is a place of service, as he mentions there again in, in, six chapter, in chapter 6, verse 1. Leaving the principles of the doctrine, going from these elementary things. Come on, you ought to know them. You ought to be teaching others. But now I've got to take time to teach you, bring you back to elementary stuff you ought to know and already be standing on. But once then you come back to it and get a grip on it and give yourself to it again, then go on into perfection. Come on. The milk of the word is the starting point. And God wants to take us far beyond that. Was it the Corinthians? Paul said that I'd like to feed you meat, but I can't. <laughs> there 
there's deep, rich, wonderful truths in this book that you'll come to grasp and understand and be such a benefit and encouragement and help to you. But you won't get to them if you don't leave the elementary stuff. But you got to start there. It's fundamental to all that God wants to do in your life as he leads you on. Church in Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this was written primarily, not exclusively, but primarily to Jewish believers back in Jerusalem who, for the most part, have departed the faith. All the churches of the New Testament, it's a sad commentary, isn't it? Like church at Ephesus, the great Gentile church, Ephesus, Antioch, that first missionary church. Where are they today? It's a no-brainer. They don't exist. You think because God's promises aren't true? You think because God didn't want them to continue on? What the situation in the Middle East today, think it would be different if the church at Ephesus still existed? As we find it in the Bible? Church at Thessalonica? Come on, we're talking about churches that had an impact. Where are they today? They went the same way the church at Jerusalem went, because it's not there either. <laughs> Come on, it's a, it's a wake-up call. We're supposed to be teachers. We're supposed to be far past the milk of the word. Come on. Eastside Baptist Church has been here long enough. Amen. And I'm not here to beat you down. I thank God for this church. I'm telling you, I thank God for this church. I got grandchildren in this church. I thank God for this church. But don't take it for granted. Don't get smug. Don't again, like I say, we independent Baptists, ah, it won't come around to us. We're, you know, we're independent Baptists. We're, we're right on target. No, we're made of a thing called flesh and blood. And we're prone to do carnal things and to serve self and to get off track. And Satan to deceive us with his fiery darts. And let's wake up. Let's recommit ourselves. Paul said, Paul himself said, I die daily. <laughs> I have to recommit myself every day because I have to beat my body and bring it into subjection. Let's stay on fire for the Lord. Let's stay on track and on fire for the Lord. He's worthy. For all of eternity, we're going to sing and praise worthy the Lamb. <laughs> what a privilege to be called a soldier of the cross and a child of God and to be able to serve him in the day in which we live. It's not pleasant in the last days because Jesus himself said it's going to wax worse and worse. It's not going to get better and better. So again, it's a privilege. It's a challenge, but it's a privilege to get to serve the Lord in the day in which we do. He's faithful. Oh, God, help us to be found faithful when you come for us. Let's bow for prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the admonitions in the book of Hebrews, admonition time and again throughout the word of God, obviously. But knowing the situation there in Jerusalem, the church there, experiences that Paul had had himself knowing full well how bad it was. 
But just like it was in Corinth, just like it was in Laodicea, just like in churches that were drifting and carnality had crept in and conditions were such, in your mercy and as we heard again tonight, your grace, <laughs> you would appeal to them. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. May we be hearing yet today. Oh God, help us to stay on track, to not take it for granted. Thank God for this good church. Oh Lord, you know how I thank God for this church. How there's a whole house full of folks here today who thank you for this church. Lord, I pray you'd help them to stay on track, to keep the fire Keep the vision, keep the passion, keep the surrender, keep the commitment, all the things that are involved so that Eastside Baptist Church will be found faithful when you come for us. Oh God, what a privilege it would be to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, may that be our heart's desire, I pray. Speak to hearts here tonight. Continue to do your work now, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.